the question that Jesus asked uh, when he was in this place. Notice that he's in uh, Caesarea Philippi. He's taken the disciples um, to another region. And an interesting region, Caesarea Philippi, uh, not a Jewish um, place, a, a place where there was worship of all sorts of different gods. So he's taken them aside to a, a place where they're not going to be harassed. And he asks them a question. He says, he says to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? When Jesus says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. It's one of the, the phrases that he used to speak about himself. Who are people saying that I am, is what Jesus is saying. What are people saying about me? And uh, the disciples come back and, uh, and they reply and they tell Jesus what people are saying about him. That's a cartoon. Nobody really said uh, they thought he was Superman, but he was a Superman, wasn't he? They, they, they may well have been saying that kind of thing, but they wouldn't have uh, thought Superman in the way that we think Superman. But the disciples reply, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Do you know what those people all had in common? This isn't a rhetorical question, I'm asking you. Do you know, what did those list of people all had in common? Peter, a bit louder. They were dead. All those people were dead. Interesting, isn't it? Be interesting a little bit later, you know, when Jesus says, you know, about the gates of Hades not being able to overcome the church. Hades, of course, was the place of the dead. And uh, these people that, that people were suggesting Jesus might be were all people who were dead. Were they suggesting that, that Jesus was somebody that had come back from the dead? Interesting, isn't it? Who do people say that I am? The church needs to be Jesus-centred. The church needs to be centred on Jesus. And it's interesting, isn't it, to think about who people say that Jesus is? You know, if we were go, to go out into the into the, the towns and cities and ask the question, who do people say Jesus is? They would come up with all sorts of different answers, wouldn't they? And uh, we can read books about who people say that Jesus was. Interesting books that will educate us and inform us and help us. We can read the Bible and we can see what the Bible says about who Jesus was. But there's a really important question. Because having asked the disciples who other people say uh, he was, he then makes it a little bit more personal. And he says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The most important question. Who do you say that I am? Because this question could change your life, depending on how you answer it. Who do you say that I am? Jesus still asks this question today. He's still interested in what people think about him. He still wants to know, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And this morning, you know, it's worth thinking about, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you, Jesus is saying. 
Simon Peter. He was the, he was the kind of spokesperson. He was the, he was the disciple that was always ready with an answer. You can imagine when that question was asked. It's a bit like maybe in a Bible study or even in a classroom, you know, when somebody asks a question, very often everybody kind of looks to the ground and thinks, I hope this question's not, I hope not going to ask me and hoping that somebody else will have the answer. Well, Peter was that somebody else in the class of disciples who could always be guaranteed to come up with an answer, to say what he thought. And uh, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter very often got it wrong. But on this occasion, he got it absolutely right. You are the Christ. The Christ is a, is, is a, is a word for the Messiah, the anointed one. The, the person that the whole of Israel was waiting for in expectance. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? I wonder whether you can say that this morning. Can you say that he is the Christ, that Jesus is Lord? I wonder whether you can say that. Because Peter could, that was his reply. He blurts it out, he shouts it out. and uh, But he was speaking on behalf of the disciples. This is what the disciples had come to believe about Jesus. So the church needs to be Jesus-centered. Jesus has to be at the center of everything. It's his church. It belongs to him. And he's the one that's going to build it. Secondly, the church needs to be community orientated. The church needs to be Jesus centered, but it needs to be community orientated. And it's good just to remind ourselves that, you know, people do interpret the Bible in different ways. And I'm talking about Christian people now. Uh, who belong to that worldwide church, interpret the Bible in different ways. Some people sometimes say to me, oh Richard, I just believe what the Bible says. As if, as if, as if anybody that, that disagrees with them isn't, isn't believing what the Bible says. Some people are honest. Some people may not be, I might be, I might be unkind in saying they're not honest. They might not realize they're doing it. But what we all do is we interpret the Bible in a particular way. And we all say, this is what the Bible says. And I'd just like to show you uh, an example of this this morning, because people interpret this passage in different ways. And, and the question is, you know, what did Jesus mean when he says, upon this rock? What was Jesus talking about? What was the rock that Jesus was talking about? Well, some people see the rock as, as Peter himself, the person. And of course, uh, the Roman Catholic Church has, has taken this, as their teaching for uh, the Pope, the head of their church. And they would argue that this goes right back to this passage in Matthew 16, where Jesus was saying, upon this person, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And this person, Peter, is given the authority, uh, the keys to the kingdom. And, and, and out of that uh, interpretation, uh, the Roman church has been built. Let's not forget that we came out of that. You know, we, we, we are one church. 
And uh, I'm not in any way wanting to knock the Roman Catholics. I'm just saying this is one interpretation. Another interpretation is to say that actually the rock means Peter's confession of faith. And uh, by and large, this is what the Protestant church has believed, uh, especially from the Reformation times, that it was the confession of faith. It was Peter's confession uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that the church is built upon. But there is a third, a third, a third way that this passage can be uh, interpreted. Uh, and this isn't pick and mix theology. I'm going to tell you what I think in a moment. I'm just saying this is different. This is the way different people interpret. There's a, there's a third uh, idea, which is, in some sense is, is a combination of the two. And it's the idea that the rock is the confessing uh, discipleship or disciple. And uh, I get that from uh, from somebody a lot more learned myself. Nigel Wright in his book, Free Church, uh, Free State, says, The rock on which the church is built is the rock of confessing discipleship. The keys of spiritual responsibility, authority and competence are not therefore given to Peter in an exclusive way, but to all who see what he saw and confessed what he confessed. You won't be surprised to know that this is where I'm kind of putting myself uh, in the fact that, yes, it, it, Jesus definitely said these words to a person. He said them to Peter. He makes the whole point. He's, he's having a bit of a play because the Greek word for Peter, of course, can be uh, interpreted rock or stone. And so he's saying, you know, he's making a play on that. And he's saying, he's, he's definitely speaking to Peter. And you can see how people can interpret this passage in different ways and still be uh, sticking to scripture. So it's not quite as, as simple as just saying, I believe what the Bible says. We all believe what the Bible says. It is how we interpret. Uh, Liam Morris says a similar thing about this passage. He says, it's not Peter simply as Peter, but Peter who has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, who is the church's foundation on whom the church is to be built. We must not separate the man from the words he has just spoken. So... I would suggest that the rock on which the church is built is the people of God who confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course you'll remember or you'll know that Peter in his own letter goes to talk, uh, talks about you know living stones and about the foundation stone. And uh, he, he, he expounds that in his letter uh, 1 Peter. So the church needs to be community orientated. We are a community, a gathered community of people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's our confession of faith that we still make today. We still ask people, don't we, to confess. Uh, you know, when we're baptising people, uh, they make that confession of faith. When we receive people into membership of the church, we get them to the front of the church. And what do we ask them to do? We, I ask them questions and they confess their faith. They say that they believe in Jesus as Lord and accept Jesus as Lord. And they also uh, make a commitment to be part of Jesus' people, the church, and to serve Jesus. So when we do that, we are following in a long, long tradition that started here. You know that Jesus never went to church, don't you? Jesus didn't go to church. He started the church. And uh, here, this is the first time in the New Testament that the word church is actually mentioned. Uh, Paul Beasley Murray, 
uh, another good Baptist theologian says, the first reference we have to the term church comes in the context of Peter's confession of faith. It was in response to Peter's declaration, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Personal faith and membership of the new community of the church go hand in hand. Neither can be separated one from the other. You cannot be a believer and say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus is Lord, and not belong to the church. The two things go hand in hand. And I would challenge you this morning, you know, if you are a regular attender of this church and not a member, to really consider membership of the church. Because uh, it's important, it matters. It really matters because you are identifying yourself, first of all, as a follower of Jesus. But then you are also identifying yourselves and committing yourselves to be part of the body of Christ. Membership really matters because we are members of one body. But we are members. And it is important. So do come and talk to me about that and, uh, you know, challenge me and talk back to me. Uh, you might not agree and it's okay. You know, I've said it before, but it's okay not to agree with what I say to come to me. But come to me with your Bible in hand and, and, and show me, you know, from the Bible uh, how we might want to interpret Scripture differently. That's okay. That's okay. But the important thing is the church needs to be Jesus-centred. It needs to be community-orientated. Community matters. You know, the fellowship of believers. Uh, we are all members of that one body and we all have a part to play. You have a strategic and significant part to play in the church of Jesus Christ here in Lum in Rosendale. Jesus has a part. And if you're not playing that part, you know, we suffer. Not in the way that a suffering church suffers, but we are missing out because you're not using your gifts and your abilities uh, in the building up of the church. Because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church... But I'm going to build it on this rock. And we've said that what we think the rock is, is the, the confessing uh, disciples, those who are following Jesus. That's what he's going to build it on. So he's going to use us in the building. And uh, he wants to use us in the building. He wants to be used. And you have a very useful part to play in the church here in Long Baptist Church. And then finally, the church needs to be Jesus-centered, community-orientated, and then finally, the church needs to be mission-focused. We need to be focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. And of course, the mission of Jesus Christ is to reach out uh, into our local communities, but also into the world that we live. Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Anybody got any keys with them this morning? I've got this theory that as you go older in life, you gather more keys. Anybody got any keys with them this morning? I bet we've all, I bet we've all got a key with us this morning. What do we use keys for? What do keys do? Open things. Mainly they open doors, don't they? Normally uh, a key... Uh, opens a door. Uh, one Sunday morning, uh, the door to my office, somehow the latch fell on the door. I don't know how, whether, whether it was me, whether it was somebody else, somehow it, it fell and the door locked and we haven't got a key to it. 
We don't seem to have a key to, and if you know where it is, it'd be useful to know. But what did that mean? I couldn't get in. I couldn't get into my, I was locked out of my own office. Somebody very helpfully managed to break in, uh, using their gifts and abilities, uh, maybe learned from before they became a, a, a follower of Jesus, but we managed to, to break in, but we couldn't get into the door because the door was locked. And so it seems to me that the, the keys have to do with opening things. Keys have to do with opening things that were locked. And Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, he's giving Peter, but Peter as a representative, as a, as a believing disciple is following Jesus, uh, on, on this rock who's going to build the church, he's giving the church the keys to open up the kingdom of heaven. And there's a sense in that's what happens in the church, isn't it? Uh, there's a sense in which sometimes we, we, we do that, don't we? We're opening up heaven to people. We get glimpses of heaven. Uh, but we're also, um, there, there is a picture of Jesus uh, giving Jesus the keys. And of course this is where we get the idea, you know, that Peter uh, is, 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 is the one who, uh, is, is the person on the gate at Heavens who's allowing people in or out. And, uh, you know, please tell me that there's no dress code up there. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> you know, all those people who've commented on my dress code and other people's dress code to find out that when you get to heaven, there isn't a dress code. Some people might be disappointed, some people might be pleased. But it's from this passage that we get these comical ideas of Peter uh, being at the gates of heaven because uh, he's the key holder. He's the key holder. But to be more uh, serious, uh, the church needs to be mission focused. The idea that we've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven means that we can open up the kingdom of heaven to those who it is closed to. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by preaching the word of God. By telling people about Jesus. Jesus later on in Matthew uh, tells the, the teachers and the Pharisees the law off for, for this. He says, woe to the teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Jesus gets a little bit cross with uh, the teachers of the law and Pharisees because they were shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven to people. They weren't allowing people in. They were preventing people in. And Jesus says, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom of heaven to the church. The church that I'm going to build. And one of the things the church does is it opens up heaven to people. What does Peter do? Uh, straight after Jesus' death and uh, resurrection, what does he do? Peter stands up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Those who accepted the message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Why? Because Peter's been given the keys to the kingdom. And uh, he can open up the door. And what does he do? He opens up the door to those who previously it was shut to. Because what we see in the Acts of the Apostles and throughout the New Testament is those that were outside of the kingdom of heaven are allowed in. Because the keys have been given to the church. And the keys still remain in the church of Jesus Christ. And our job is to be mission focused. To reach out with the good news 
of Jesus Christ to say that God actually wants you to come in to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says in John's gospel, you know, I stand at the door and knock. We have to open the door to allow Jesus to come into our lives. The church needs to be mission focused. And uh, you'll be pleased to know uh, that as a church, Long Baptist Church, um, we have a mission statement. Some of you might be surprised to know that. We've been working at it for a long time. But we have a mission statement. We have a strap line as well. How modern and trendy is that? Our strap line is a loving, believing community. See what we do there? We've taken LBC and we've said we're a loving, believing community. Hey, uh, you know, we want to tell people what we are. But more importantly, we do have a mission statement to remind us what we're about. And this is our mission statement. We took a long time to come up with this mission statement. The deacons spent ages on it and, uh, and talked about it and, and, and even argued about it. And this is what we came up with, to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and into membership of the church family, to encourage each other to grow into Christ-like maturity and to equip each one for the ministry in the church and mission in the wider community in order to magnify God's holy name. That's what we're about as a church, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people into membership, encouraging people to use their gifts and using those gifts and abilities to reach out into this community. We are a mission-focused church. That's what we say we are. And the good thing about our mission statement is we can actually use that to say, well, how are we doing? How are we doing? How many people have we brought into faith? How many people have we brought into membership? How are we encouraging others to grow into Christ-like maturity? How are we equipping people for ministry? And how are we reaching out into the community? We can use this as a, to measure how we're doing as a church and say, are we bringing people to Jesus? Are we seeing people come into membership? Are we seeing people baptised? Are we equipping people uh, in the ministry? We can use these things as a, as a way to gauge it's a bit like a church Ofsted. Those of you in the teaching profession I know will think that's a dirty word to use and I apologise. But we'll be using it in a very positive way. But we do want to say, you know, how are we doing as a church? And we can use this to measure how we're doing. So the church needs to be Jesus-centred. Everything that we do needs to be centred on Jesus Christ. He's his church and he's going to build it. But he's going to use us in the process. Uh, we need to be community orientated. We need to, to be sharing together uh, in following what Jesus has called us to do. And we need to be mission focused in that we need to be reaching out into our local community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you join in with me as I join in with Jesus in what he wants the church to be? Let's pray.